readings today. Genesis 3, 1 through 19, Luke 12, 13 through 21, and 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, and 17 through 19. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 19. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The second reading is Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 
and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Our final reading is 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10 and 17 through 19. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but, but, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peggy. Uh, well, I'm walking into the supermarket and I spot the same guy sitting on the same patch of ground and he's got the same sign uh, next to him. Please help, I need $150 for rent or I'm going to be evicted. Uh, and the same thoughts start running through my head. Wasn't that the same sign last week? I wonder if he smokes. Will he spend it on alcohol if I give him something? Maybe drugs? Oh, well, at least I don't have any cash on me. And so what I say to him is, sorry, mate, I can't help. Uh, but what I really mean is, and even if I could, I'm not sure that I would. Because I don't trust what you'd do with it. Uh, this week we're continuing our series on generosity. And uh, you can see how qualified I am to speak on this topic. <laughs> Uh, last week, we focused on all the ways that God is generous to us. He's given us such good gifts in creation, so much natural beauty, uh, as well as the things that we depend on, the food, the water, the air, uh, the natural environment around us. And God's been generous to us in Christ as well, rescuing us from slavery to sin, giving us new life and the gift of his spirit. Uh, God is so generous to us that we have a special word for it. Grace. 
God's undeserved kindness and blessings towards us. Common grace to everybody in creation, special grace to those he redeems in Christ. And so the question for this week is, what are we going to do with God's gifts? When God gives to us, should he have some reservations in his mind like I do when I go to the supermarket? wondering if we're going to misuse his good gifts. Uh, This week in our generosity series, uh, I've drawn the short straw. We're focusing uh, on how we abuse God's generosity to us. Uh, There are lots of ways, of course, that we could abuse God's generosity. We could uh, refuse his gifts. Uh, We could use them for a purpose they weren't intended for. Uh, We could destroy them. We could not acknowledge God as the one who's given them to us. Uh, Or we can be selfish with them and hoard them uh, for ourselves, uh, which is the opposite of generosity. And that's uh, the particular one we're looking at today. It's commonly described as, as greed, selfishly hoarding God's good gifts for ourselves. It's this desire to accumulate uh, more and more. And I want to particularly think about greed for money today. And again, we can be greedy in other ways. Uh, For food, that's often called gluttony. Uh, For sex, that's usually called lust. We can be greedy with our time or our other resources. But when the Bible talks about greed, it often seems to have money or, or wealth or possessions in view. And so that's what we're focusing on today. I think it's also worth talking about because greed is not really a sin that our wider culture talks a lot about. We might be outraged at the corporate executives with their million dollar bonuses. We might teach our toddlers not to take an extra bit of cake. But I don't think that greed is a sin that many of us would readily admit to struggling with. It's not really something that affects you and me. And yet, if we truly understand it, I think we'll see that it's a lot more common than we think. So to help us understand what's going on with greed, uh, let's go right back to the very beginning. Uh, Because we can see the threat of greed as soon as God starts giving. Uh, This is our reading from Genesis 3 that that Peggy gave. Uh, Just before this, God makes humans in his image, in his likeness, and he gives them all kinds of of trees for fruit with one instruction. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will die. But enjoy all the others. Uh, But then the the first advertiser appears on the scene and starts to tell them what they're missing out on. The snake sows dissatisfaction. Who cares if you've got all the other trees? If you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. There's a little bit of FOMO going on here, I think. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing for the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The man and the woman reach out and grasp for something that was never given to them. They ignore all the other good gifts that were given to them. Uh, And we see they get what they wanted, right? They get to eat this delicious fruit and their eyes are opened, if only to their nakedness and shame. Now they know evil like never before. 
that they get what they wanted. And yet, in another way, do they really get what they wanted? They don't. They desire wisdom. They desire to be like God. And yet, this was the most foolish decision that they could have made. Life becomes full of toil and hardship for them and pain. They become less like God as a result of their sin. That's the thing with greed. Even when you get what you want, you don't really get what you want. Because this was never actually about the fruit for Adam and Eve. It was always about something more, what the fruit represented. The fruit represents uh, knowledge and being like God. And in their greed for these things, they thought that God was holding out on them. And that by grasping for this fruit, they could get what they want. But it can't deliver. And it's similar with greed for money. It's never just about money. It's about what the money represents. Uh, As part of my role, I help uh, couples that are preparing for marriage. And as part of the marriage preparation course, I do an activity with them to help them to uh, speak about marriage in their rela- about money, sorry, in their relationship. Uh, in this activity, they respond to a series of statements to uncover what money represents to them. Uh, for some, money represents power and control. Right? I can influence other people. I can control my future if I have money. Uh, for others, money means status and privilege. I look good if I have money. I'll be able to impress people. Or for others, money represents security. I'll be safe. I'll be protected from danger if I have money. Or finally, money could mean pleasure and enjoyment. Money means that I can have fun and enjoy myself. I wonder which of these resonate for you. Now, I know we're at church. It doesn't feel very Christian to say, I value money because it gives me power and status. Uh, but I'm not going to be asking you to put your hand up, so <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> but you can have a serious think. Uh, be honest with yourself. What, which of these resonate for you? Money as uh, power and control, money as status and privilege, uh, money as security, money as enjoyment and pleasure. My point today is not that one of these is better than others or one is worse. My point actually is that whichever of these you value, power, status, security or pleasure, my question is can money actually deliver it? In just a moment we're going to meet a guy who looked to his wealth for security and pleasure. He's in the parable in Luke 12. Let's see how it turns out. I'll read from where the parable starts in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In an agricultural society, grain meant wealth. 
Uh, so you, can you see what wealth means to this man? He says to himself, take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Right? He's won the agricultural lottery. Uh, and just like a lottery winner today, he's going to enjoy it. He'll do some renovations on the property, throw a party or three, have some great food. Uh, his accumulation means he can plan a holiday to the Gold Coast. I'm sure he'd be going overseas, but, you know, that's not a thing. Uh, he's going to go to the Gold Coast, sit by the beach, sip his cocktail, and just relax. Uh, but this is a parable told by Jesus, and so there's a sting in the tail. Verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? What pleasure does this man actually get from his wealth? None at all. What security does he get from his wealth? None at all. In fact, his accumulation makes things worse. Greed brings about his downfall, Jesus says. Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. He was a rich man, but he made a bad investment. It turned out to be very high risk and very low reward. Because wealth and possessions can't deliver what they promise. They can't deliver security. They can't be relied on for enjoyment and pleasure. And we see, just like Adam and Eve, even when you get what you want, you don't really get what you want. Because money can't deliver the security and enjoyment that we long for. Psychologists who study the connection between money and happiness know this too. Once we have our basic needs met, more money doesn't tend to make us happier. Buying more stuff doesn't help. Strong friendships and relationships are a far better investment. But I should say that caveat is important once we have our basic needs met. And we see this in our passage. Paul identifies this uh, when he says in 1 Timothy uh, 6.8, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9, uh, also puts it well, kind of illustrates the dual dangers. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. Both poverty and wealth can be a threat to our relationship with God and a threat to our eternal security. But in God's kindness, uh, not many of us here today are likely to be going out with, uh, to be, are likely to be going without food or clothing. Uh, and can I say, uh, if you are, that's to our shame because we have more than enough wealth between us to stop that from happening. So I suspect that for most of us, perhaps not all, but for most, it's wealth that poses the greatest spiritual risk to us. And that's why the Bible has warnings against greed. Not because God wants to separate us from our rightful possessions, but because wealth can bring temptations and traps. Wealth reduces some risks, but it increases others 
that we might not be aware of. Our reading from 1 Timothy uh, 6 verse 9 puts it this way. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. One of the traps is wanting to get rich. Uh, Actually, you don't have to be wealthy to fall into this trap. Uh, Imagine a mouse nibbling at some cheese in a mouse trap, right? The mouse might get away with it for a little bit, might even enjoy a nice meal or two. But sooner or later, if a mouse keeps playing with mouse traps, uh, it's going to get caught. We're much better off not walking into traps in the first place, staying well away. And, and I know this, and, and you know this, but uh, at least for me, there's a part of me that I try to keep buried most of the time, but there is part of me that still thinks it would be kind of nice to be rich. And when I feed that part of me, it awakes desires that lead me away from God, that lead me to focus uh, on money and how I can get ahead and towards ruin and destruction. Like me, you may know people who've given up their faith in Christ because they're focusing on making money. They may not consciously renounce Christ, but their life is focused on making money, and so it's no surprise Jesus doesn't seem that relevant anymore. Wanting to be rich is a trap that ensnares. But trusting in wealth is uh, risky in another way too. And the later part of our 1 Timothy reading in verse 17 puts it like this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Like we saw with the rich fool in Jesus' parable, wealth disappoints. It's an uncertain hope. It can't be relied on to deliver what it promises. Like I said, it's a high-risk, low-reward investment. Now, the Bible has a name for things that we put our hope in, but that can't deliver what they promise. Things that we serve with our time and devotion to pursue, but that end up letting us down. They're called idols. And actually, that's exactly what the New Testament says that greed is. Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. Not you shouldn't, you can't. In other words, money is a rival to God for your loyalty. If you love money, you can't love God. And if you love God, you can't love money. Now that's in Matthew 6. Paul says straight out, greed is idolatry in Colossians 3.5 and that the greedy person is an idolater in Ephesians 5.5. And friends, I think it's fair to say that the religion of money is, is well and truly alive today. Uh, Brian Rosner, the principal here at Ridley College, he writes about the idol of the economy. It's quite uh, provocative but insightful. He says, in Western society in general, the economy has achieved what can only be described as a status equal to that of the sacred. Like God, the economy, it is thought, is capable of supplying people's needs without limit. Also like God, the economy is mysterious, unknowable and intransigent. Uh, That's from his book, 
uh, beyond greed. And if you read that passage, it goes on for about two pages on the, the parallels. It's quite fascinating. Uh, of course, unlike God, uh, the economy crashes sometimes. Unlike God, the economy doesn't particularly care for the poor. But it still has its sacred symbols and rituals. Uh, the shopping mall is like the modern cathedral where we can worship at the altar of consumerism as we get led there by the, the advertising, which is like the gospel tracts of this religion. Uh, the encouragements to pursue money and the accumulation of wealth are all around us. So when Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, it's because we have to actively resist it or else we're going to get swept along in this cultural tide. We're going to get caught in the rip that drags us out. Let me give you two personal examples from my own life, uh, which I've realised just mainly in preparing for this, uh, that risk of being swept along. One happened, as I said, as I was preparing this sermon. I realised recently that if uh, we do nothing, Ale and I are going to accumulate an unhealthy amount of wealth. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not about to become millionaires, right? Um, she's a teacher, I'm a pastor. We get, you know, it's fine, but, you know, we're both working, we don't have kids at home. We can well and truly live within our means. We can save money from our paychecks every month. Our employer pays a superannuation. If we buy a house or buy shares, there's another way that our wealth is likely to increase. Uh, in fact, without us even thinking about it in some cases. Now, your circumstances are, are no doubt different from ours. Uh, and our circumstances will, you know, most likely change in the future. And you may be really struggling to make ends meet at the moment. So I'm not saying this is everybody, but this is a personal example that, that I notice in my own life that may not apply to all of us. But nonetheless, for us at the moment... Accumulation will happen unless we actively resist it. Jesus' words send shivers down my spine. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Another way we noticed uh, this cultural tide sweeping us along was in a conversation with the bank. Uh, We've been starting to explore buying a house. So we began by calling the bank with all our questions. This was our very first conversation with them. Uh, one of our questions was, how does it work if we can get ahead on our mortgage and you know, maybe pay it off early or something? Well, the guy said, uh, that's, that's fine, that's great. We'll set you up with an offset account so you can put your extra contributions in there and then you'll be saving towards a deposit for your second home at the same time. <laughs> now, you laugh. I thought, oh, yeah, that, that makes good financial sense. Yeah, and, and it does, Right? Thankfully, Ali realised what was going on. Second house? Who said anything about a second house? We're just starting to think about buying a house and it's just assumed that we're going to keep accumulating houses. Right? Accumulation is the assumption. It's just the, the way the tide is going. Unless we resist it, we're going to get swept along. So how can, we, uh, how can we resist this cultural pressure towards greed and accumulation? How can we resist the temptation to put our hope in wealth? 
Well, uh, as we come towards the end, I've got three different ways uh, to help us beware this cultural rip. Uh, Firstly, we need to come back to the gospel and trust God. Remember the gospel. Because greed feeds off the sense that we don't have enough. But Christ became poor so that we might become rich. In him we have every spiritual blessing and many material blessings as well. We are already rich. Greed feeds off our fear that we might run out in the future. But 1 Timothy 6.17 reminds us to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is a good giver. His pockets are deep. He continues to provide. Even if we misuse his gifts, he continues to provide. He doesn't stop giving. He's not like me at the supermarket. And we're not like that guy who was begging. We're not like him because we do actually sometimes misuse God's gifts. And God is not like us because that doesn't stop him giving generously. Him generously sending his reign on all people, giving growth. So the first step is to trust God's promises. To remind ourselves how Christ, though he was rich, for our sake became poor. So that through his poverty we might become rich. So friends, remind yourself how God has provided for you in the past. Pray for his provision when you have a need rather than turning to your wealth. Look to God to provide. And give thanks openly with others for the good things that you enjoy. So firstly, we remember the gospel and trust God. Secondly, we can resist the pressure to accumulate by cultivating contentment. 1 Timothy 6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So, how do we cultivate uh, contentment? Well, again, giving thanks is a great place to start. Remember what you do have and thank God for it. Uh, Say thanks to God before you eat, uh, but do it also before you go on holiday. Do it after you catch up with friends that you enjoy seeing. Give thanks to God for all the good things that He gives. On the other hand, if we focus on what we don't have or if we focus on what our friends have that we wish we had, what we see in the ads that we want, that's going to rob us of contentment. So let's resist that temptation to compare our wealth. Let's resist that temptation to compare our possessions with others. Uh, Let's moderate our diet of advertising. We don't need to look at the pictures that are going to make us envious of others and rob us of contentment. There's a third way to avoid the, cultural, the, the traps of accumulation. 1 Timothy 6.18 Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Use your money to do good. Give it away freely. Share it around. And we can be generous in lots of ways. We can be generous with our time and with our talents and skills. But if the accumulation of money is our risk, 
then it's money we need to give away. I'm not saying don't be generous in other ways, but if accumulation of money is the risk, then give it away. You can diversify and grow your giving portfolio. Build a collection of causes and organisations that you invest in, you give to as often as you get paid. There's no shortage of good causes you can give to. You don't need me to um, tell you all the different ones. You can give to alleviate spiritual and material poverty, to enable the gospel to be preached and the poor to be fed. You can give to people close to home and those far away. You can give to the church. You can give to secular organisations, Christian charities or not. You can give to anyone who's working for the common good. And don't be like me. Don't be too stressed about how they're going to use it. Sure, think about it, but don't be too stressed about it. Give it as a gift. And the incredible thing is, as we give, we get richer. As we give, we get richer. We'll be rich in good deeds. We'll be rich towards God. We'll store up treasure in heaven. An investment that won't disappoint or let us down. Next week, in the final uh, week of our series, we're going to think about some of the more practical aspects of giving. What generosity looks like for us in practice. For now, let me leave you with a challenge. Identify one change you can make. One change that will help you resist that cultural tide of accumulation. I've suggested three different ways. Trusting God's provision, cultivating contentment, giving money away. Pick one, identify one concrete act that you can make. Tell your husband or your wife or your friend which one you want to try. Which one are you going to give a go this week? Let's pray that God would help us to resist this cultural tide. Our loving God, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, uh, for our sake he became poor, that uh, we might share in your wealth, that we might have the security and enjoyment that lasts, uh, that is secure, that only you can give. Father, we thank you for the many ways that we experience your blessings and generosity. Please forgive us when we hoard these for ourselves and misuse your good gifts. Help us to resist the traps of accumulating wealth and greed. By your spirit, please help us to trust you deeply instead of trusting our wealth. Please help us to grow content in all the good things that you give. Please help us to give freely that we might be a blessing to others and show something of your generosity to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're about to sing our next song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. So please stand.